What is a cult? And how do Christians share their faith with individuals who are caught in cults? Today we are joined by Jason Oakes, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Roundup, Montana, and author of his latest book, Sharing Jesus with the Cults, on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Billator Christie Podcast, and this is your host, yours truly, Brian Chilton. Uh, we want to uh, let you know that uh, before we get into their podcast, this will probably be our last uh, live podcast of the summer. Uh, we're going into a summer break, so we'll start a brand new season of our conversational podcast uh, coming up sometime around in August. Uh, so be sure to go over to uh, bellatorchristie.com to find the latest uh, on uh, when the new conversational podcast will be available. Now, we are looking to, during the summer, to, do, to uh, continue archiving uh, some of the podcasts that we have had uh, while on Blog Talk Radio, gravitating that over to the website. So that will be what will be taking place this summer. We'll be uh, ho- hopefully uploading some podcasts and so that you'll have it on the archive library there on bellatorchristie.com. Uh, we do want to remind you that the Bellator Christie podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com, and we encourage you to go to the website, and while you're there, be sure to click subscribe, and by doing so, you'll receive all of the articles and links to these podcasts in your inbox, and the best part of it all is it's absolutely free. You can also take our podcast with you on the go. Uh, we're available on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. And so uh, we're, th- we're thankful that you're here with us along for the ride and uh, look forward to our, our conversation today. Today we have with us a very uh, special guest. We have Pastor Jason Oakes, who is the senior pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Roundup, Montana. Uh, he was gracious enough to have me at an apologetics conference uh, held at his church last year and had a wonderful time uh, doing that. Uh, he is also the former associate professor at Bethel Seminary. He received his Master of Divinity from Bethel Seminary and studied church history at Hope International University. He recently wrote and published the book, Sharing Jesus with the Cults, How to Handle the Most Common Conversations Christians Get Into with Cult Members, which is available at, on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. So we want to welcome with us Jason Oaks to the Bellator Christie Podcast. Jason, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Brian. Always a pleasure. 
Well, first and foremost, if you will, sir, uh, share with our listeners, as we always ask our first-time guests to do this, uh, if you would share with our listeners how you came to, to faith in Christ. Well, my parents, neither of them were believers, uh, but there was a case in the news that caused them concern when it came time to put me in school. And so they sought out a private school that happened to be at a Baptist church, and it was kind of just starting out. And so I went there, and we had chapel service, and uh, during one of those chapel services, I was five years old at the time, but they were talking about how we can invite Jesus to come and live in our heart, and uh, I wanted that. I, you know, just in my, I, what do I got to do? Where do I sign up? <laughs> so... Uh, I remember praying that prayer when I was five, and uh, just I didn't really have a whole lot of influences. I I only went to church when I spent the night at my friend's house, but um, and I actually found church to be boring when I was younger. Uh, but God always just kind of had a, a hold of, of me. Uh, when I was later on, uh, fourteen years old, I got leukemia, and in the hospital, I just had a real encounter with Jesus where kind of said, I'm either in control of everything or not in control of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you choose? <laughs> wow. And uh, I chose him, and uh, everything's been uh, an amazing journey ever since. That's that's so powerful. It's it's amazing how God works things out, and and you know with with your parents, uh, as you say, you know seeking to get you know to get get you a good education and putting you in a in a private school, which was a which was a Christian school, and uh, and amazing how God used that to bring you to faith. That's just an incredible story. Yeah, I, he definitely had his hand on me. Amen. Well, in your book. Uh, you, you talk about how Christians can share their faith with uh, cults. And I, I found as a pastor, many times it's, it's difficult for Christians to uh, identify Christianity, unfortunately, from what is a, a cult because so many variations of Christianity, as we'll talk about here in a few moments, like Jehovah Witnesses and uh, uh, Oneness Pentecostalism and um, uh, Mormonism, some of them look so so similar to Christianity. So, f- first and foremost, what would you say constitutes essential Christianity, or as C.S. Lewis would say, mere Christianity? Uh, I, I think this is a really great topic to really land on because uh, you know your audience is primarily Christians, and uh, what I have found is that when I raise the question in a group of Christians. What is a Christian? What is essential for a person to believe or practice in order to be considered a Christian? I get so many answers all over the place, and uh, it just doesn't seem like many Christians uh, seem to uh, know what the Bible states as absolute non-negotiable of what you need to believe in order to be a Christian. And uh, they'll throw in extras. Or the other thing I've been noticing, and I I did a video on this that I'm going to be uploading next week, on uh, they'll go to the creeds, uh, creeds that a lot of Christians uh, don't fully understand because they're kind of written in philosophical language to deal with certain issues of the day. But I find that they're going to a lot of places and not the Bible in order to answer that question. And there's actually just a handful of things that in the Bible it's 
are articulated as you got to believe this or you're going to die in your sins kind of thing. And so um, Isaiah 43.10 would be one uh, amongst many verses that talk about that there is one God uh, before me there was no God for me, neither shall there be after me. And so no other God for me. That's an absolute uh, essential, that there's one God. Then Jesus uh, stated in regards to himself in John eight twenty four when he's talking to the Pharisees, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. And of course that I am is referring to his equality with God, his uh, claim to be the voice of the burning bush in Exodus 3. And then uh, we got the other side of that in 1 John 4, 3, where John's dealing with kind of early Gnosticism, and he says that every spirit that confesses Gnosticism, Christ has come in the flesh, is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist. And so you got to believe, on one hand, that Jesus is God, but then also, on the other hand, that Jesus is human. And so you got that, you know, the fancy term would be the hypothetic union. Uh, but just simply put, you believe Jesus is God, believe that Jesus was human. And then you got the gospel and everything pertaining to the gospel. So Galatians 1, 8, and 9, if I preach any other gospel, or even an angel from heaven uh, preaches any other gospel to you, which I have preached to you, let him be accursed. And then uh, that gospel is clarified in First Corinthians 15, is Jesus died for us according to the scriptures, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures, and then he clarifies even more about the resurrection, saying in First Corinthians fifteen seventeen, if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, you are yet in your sins. And I believe that he is pointing specifically to a physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus as essential there. And then Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, and it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so, you got in regards to the gospel, what the gospel is, uh, the, the definition of the physical and bodily resurrection, and then salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works. And so, uh, there's really that handful of things um, that the Scripture defines as the gospel, and if you don't believe in this gospel, then there is, you aren't a Christian, you aren't a follower of Christ, and that's all there is to it. Um, and on the other end of this, I have to say, and I talk about this in my chapter, the chapter is called, Can You Be Saved If? And the reason why I included it is because I, uh, in talking with cult members over the years, I have been challenged in this. Uh, it really challenged me to narrow down and find what does the Bible say are the non-negotiable beliefs, because you will encounter people who believe all sorts of different things than we do um, because of their, their background and because they've been indoctrinated in certain belief systems. So they'll believe in possibly, you know, other scriptures. They'll believe in possibly uh, pre-existence or, you know, some maybe some quirky details about Jesus or, um, you know, what he did or what the purpose of this life is or, you know, what heaven looks like or... Um, a lot of different things, and uh, the mistake that a lot of Christians make is they'll make those things the issues, and not the gospel, and uh, or they'll just kind of try and prove 
that other religion wrong, and then that person comes out of that religion, but they don't have Jesus, and a lot of them actually go to atheism and agnosticism, and so you've actually done them a disservice a lot of times, because a lot of them find benefit uh, from being a part of these groups. Uh, some of them actually, even after becoming a Christian, they actually like mourn having to leave it because uh, they found those groups so beneficial for them. Uh, because a lot of these groups, honestly, they, they do <laughs> a lot of things better than we do as evangelical Christians. I think you're right. And, um, you know, in so, in, so many, in so many cases, that community plays a big factor. And it's interesting that you were... Uh, that you mentioned this because uh, some some of the texts I've been reading, uh, and I don't quite agree with all the conclusions of, of certain perspectives on Paul that's illustrated, but one thing that I think does make a lot of sense is that, uh, in fact, one writer wrote that when the church is not unified, God is not glorified, or something to that degree. And I think that's something, I think you're right, that's something we do miss in uh, Christianity, that we don't have the community as we should have it, uh, and that may be one of the reasons, as you mentioned, a very interesting concept. That may be the reason why some of these cults do or are so so successful as they are. Well, a lot of these cults are well. One of the big pushes that they they most of them make is the idea that they are the one true church. Uh, and they point to the disunity that is amongst, you know, the, the Prote- even the Protestants or even the Evangelicals. And I find that one of the reasons why we have so much trouble amongst our churches, even in the same community, Christian, you know, churches who all believe everything I just said, we have trouble seeing ourselves as being on the same team and either fellowshipping with each other and worshiping with each other, working with each other, because of all these little peripheral things that, you know, have divided us over the, the centuries. Mm. Um, and the other thing I, I'm finding, and I talk about this in that chapter, is I find it a bit hypocritical, in a sense, that, you know, all these groups, like the Mormons especially, you know, we're Christians too. I'm a Christian too, just like you. And they're making this this plea, like, hey, we want to be considered like one of you. Now, what they're saying to their own members is like, well, we're the only Christians. And <laughs> but to us, they're saying like, I, you know, I'm a Christian just like you, and they're trying to, you know, put on that mask. But I find it a little bit hypocritical because within our own Christian denominations, we have uh, groups that teach like baptismal regeneration or you have to speak in tongues to be saved, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, legalistic churches that just add all sorts of, like, you know, practices and rituals, you know, like, you, if you do this, then you're going to you're going to hell, or you're losing your salvation, or all those kind of things. And um, if we're saying that they can be Christians and teach those kind of doctrines, then in what sense do, can we realistically turn to these other groups and say, no, 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 you guys are outside. And that's why, that's the other reason why this is so important, to understand what the Bible says, here's the non-negotiables, because I think we need to be clear and start saying as emphatically about some of these other groups that, no, 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 you're not within 
the, the champ of orthodoxy here, uh, you need to, you know, we need to shove them out in the sense of Christianity so we have clarity so that then we can um, be unified in the mission moving forward. Amen. Amen. So we constitute, so we defined essential or mere Christianity. Uh, so in that regard, how would you define a cult? Uh, what, what would you say a cult is? Uh, well, you know, glad that we're talking about this too, because I put this as the first section of my book. It's all about what is a cult. Um, because I wanted to be clear, I, I originally had it when I was teaching the class um, as the second thing that we got into. I initially went into the overview of the groups, but then I realized, you know, hey, we haven't been clear on what a Christian is and what a cold is, and so I stuck it at the first section of the book so that it would define how we're talking about all these groups and, you know, why we're doing what we're doing moving forward. And uh, at the end of that section, I actually put a checklist together um, of all the different things I had talked about. And it's called, You, you Might Be in a Full If. And uh, so for those Jeff Foxworthy fans out there, <laughs> it was a kind of a little bit of a tribute there. And uh, I have some uh, fun videos on YouTube <laughs> that people can check out about that. Um, but the biggest thing for me that, uh, cause there's some of the groups that were in this, this book that ended up in this book that I, I put in and then I took out, I put in and then I took out and I was just really torn over whether or not I could really say that's a cult versus like false teaching, mm. uh, false Christianity. And if you kind of view it more as a spectrum, like you got, orthodox over here and then you've got you know full-blown cult over here right. then you know these groups kind of fall and so that's why i created this checklist uh but the biggest factor seemed to be mind control if there was mind control present and so let me just define that for a second uh steven hassan in his book combating full mind control uh, he did a great job of really defining this and pointing it out. And I, I, interestingly enough, what happened and how they came across this is they were studying the totalitarian governments, like the communistic governments and things like that, and their tactics. And the, in defining those tactics, there was people who were coming out of these other groups, uh, you know, religious groups that were going, wait a minute, wait a minute. That happened all the time in my group, too. And um, so that's how they kind of began studying this in, rela in relation to religious uh, groups. And he came up with an acronym called the BITE model, B-I-T-E. And so that stands for behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. Mm. And so behavioral control would be like you control the way they dress, you control who they hang out with, you control their time, you control what they eat, you control, um, you, you know, basically you control their life. <laughs> right. um, and you focus on behavior modification and, you know, that it's conformity to the group. So over time, you'll notice that people who are part of these groups, they kind of, uh, they're always with the same kind of people. Some of them, like, basically, they send them to an elementary school, then a junior high, then a high school, then a college that's all affiliated with their group. Um, 
some of them have, um, you know, the uniforms, you know, like this is literally what you wear. They start actually sounding the same, you know, talking the same. If you listen to like the, the LDS general conference, a lot of the leaders, their talks kind of all have the sing song equality to them. Uh, and then so you got I, which is information control. And so that's basically you control what kind of information they get exposed to. So if you've ever noticed, like we're going to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses later, but um, if you ever noticed, if you're trying to talk to them, don't have a track with you. Don't have any kind of like piece of paper you're looking at or anything because uh, they will physically not take it from you because uh, they are told that, you know, the only information that you need to be partaking of is, you know, from the Watchtower Society. Um, wow. So they'll have pyramid-style doctrines, you know, like, we'll tell the, the seekers this, but, you know, when you get to a certain level, then we'll let you know this over here. Um, they'll lie or change the history. They'll bend the truth. Um, they'll have, like, new revelations, Trump old ones, encourage them to spy on one another. Uh, they'll hide the leader's false prophecy, and there's always some kind of worldwide conspiracy against the group. This sounds uh, like uh, some political organizations, too. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And so, T would be for thought control, so you're not allowed to ask questions. You're taught thought-killing techniques. You're taught contentions of the devil. There's no legitimate reason for leading the group. They'll attack the person instead of the information. Uh, they'll teach you to put doubts on the shelf. They'll dismiss facts because they're scary. Uh, emotional control is the E. And uh, so emotions are the ultimate form of knowing truth. So good emotions are from God, bad emotions are from Satan. And so obviously if somebody's talking to you and they're bringing up something contrary to the group and you start feeling weird, then that immediately is like that thought-killing technique. Um, that they, and so there's social consequences. If you leave the group, they'll put irrational and unhealthy fears in their members about... Um, going outside of the leadership of the group or going outside of the group, heavy use of fear and guilt, unethical use of confession, they're used past sense to manipulate people. Uh, they'll do what's called the double bind. And the double bind is when they'll ask you a question and you think that there's multiple possibilities of an answer, but there's really only one legitimate answer. And the Book of Mormon challenge it's a classic example. So when the missionaries come over and they say, hey, you know, I want you to read and pray about the Book of Mormon, which is found in uh, Moroni in the Book of Mormon, it lays out this test, you know, pray about it, and God will reveal if it's true. Well, then when they come back, the missionaries, well, hey, how'd they go? Well, you know, what, what kind of answers did you get? Well, if you tell them, hey, you know, I, I prayed and God revealed it to me, I had three of the wisdom, then great, you get baptized and you're on your way. But if you tell them anything else, then they'll say, well, maybe it's because there's sin in your life, or maybe you need to come to church with us, or maybe you need to cut out caffeine from your <laughs> diet, you know, and they'll modify your behavior, and then they'll keep on coming back until you either tell them to buzz off, or... Uh, you get the answer that they want. So that's what's known as the double bind. So that's mind control. That's probably the main thing. And then there's other things like your verse has one sense of leader that's never questioned and speaks for God. Uh, you fall outside of Christian orthodoxy, which we already talked about what that is. 
um, your group becomes dependent upon the writings of the founder and or current leader or your group's belief in a complete apostasy, scripture twisting, and redefining the Christian and biblical terminology. So that's, th- those are the main things that I was looking for in these groups. Uh, so there's groups that I include in the book that might be surprising because they almost, very close, fall into orthodoxy. Uh, but, so it's not the whole orthodoxy thing, and then believe in the right things, it's the mind control that they're practicing on their people. Mm. Like, they, that's, the, that's the turning point for me. So B-I-T-E, behavior, information, thought, and was it environment? Emotional. Emotional. Emotional control. Uh, yes. Behavioral information, thought, and emotional control. Uh, yep. Wow, I love that. That is good stuff right there, and that's something easy to remember. And and really, I, you know, and Jason, in all honesty, I, I'm thinking not only as you were mentioning some of these things, not not only just religious uh, cults that may be out there, but like you said, like even fascist groups, uh, even political ideologies seem like they could fall into that spectrum. Absolutely, and if we're not careful as Christian pastors, uh, there's this very easily creeps into the Christian churches as well. Wow! Um, there, there's books that were a series of books that were called "Churches That Abuse" and "Recovering from Churches That Abuse." And the guy who wrote that came out of one of the groups that I, I addressed in the group in the book. Hmm. So this brings up, and I, and I think it's already kind of probably self-explanatory, but uh, as, as you've mentioned, wh- what are some of the more serious dangers that come with these cults? I mean, some people may think, well, you, everybody's free to believe what they want to believe and, and, and whatnot. Why are some of these cults dangerous? Well, I mean, ultimately, the, the real danger is uh, their eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but... Uh, you know, it's the controlling aspects of these groups that becomes the real problem. Uh, over time, people lose the ability uh, to really think critically, think for themselves. Uh, depending on what kind of advice they're getting from the group, uh, they might be led to do something that's dangerous for themselves or for others. I mean, uh, the extreme of where this goes is you know, the Wacos and the Jonestowns and, you know, Heaven's Gate, uh, those kind of things. Uh, and so some of these other groups, you kind of look at it and go, okay, well, what kind of real danger is it for some of these to be Mormon? Uh, and the, the danger, <laughs> I, I guess you could say, is really having to do more with spiritual things mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to that kind of group. Uh, because, like I said, a lot of them come out of the group, and then years down the road, they're almost regretting that they can't raise their children within that church because they do such a great job as a social group uh, and the community that's there. Uh, but, you know, then you've got things like if a person leaves the group, uh, the threat for like the, the LDS person is they're going to go to out, outer darkness, um, and then if they're in Utah or a place like that, then a lot of them, you know, risk losing their family. They risk losing their jobs. Uh, they risk, risk losing their friends. 
uh, they're standing in the community. I, I knew people that, you know, the vicious counseled their spouse to divorce them, to wow. find a, a worthy member that could, uh, you know, lead that or call them forward to the celestial kingdom on the day of resurrection. Um, or people who felt like they literally had to leave Utah, move to another state because it, it, there was just no inroads that they could make after they, they made that decision. Wow. So, as you say, I mean, there are obviously, when we talk about theology, we're talking about uh, the, the spiritual destination or the eternal destination of an individual, but the, these cults have very serious here and now ramifications as well as far as the control factor that it possesses uh, over an individual. I mean, and this is quite scary if, if you really think about it. Yeah, I think it's more that... Um if we're seeking the freedom of the individual, uh, it, it's more along those lines. Uh, because in some of these groups, uh, just simple decisions to you and me, and maybe where you might seek out counsel and wisdom from others that you trust, for them, they go to their discipler, and if their discipler says, don't take this job, or don't move to that place, then or don't go to college, then that's what they do. You know, they, they don't question it. Um, and they, so it's really just this operation by fear and control and manipulation that is the real problem here. And then that can take some really ugly turns in some of these groups. Amen. Amen. So speaking of the cults, and you mentioned there were some 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 surprises in your book uh, pertaining uh, to what cults you mentioned that you listed in there. What are some of the more prominent cults of today, and what are some of those surprises that you mentioned? All right. So I'll just kind of go down the list here. Uh, most everybody would categorize Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientology, Christian Science uh, within the group of, of cults, uh, and so those are you know the first four right there off the bat. But then uh, there's groups in there that either people have never really heard of or that it would be surprising to them. Uh, the most surprising, I think, would be a group called the New Apostolic Reformation. And that is a group of uh, uh, charismatic churches, mostly charismatic churches, not exclusively, but... Uh, very overlapping, but not synonymous with the Word of Faith. Um, and the interesting thing about this group is that even though you can very clearly just hop on Google and find out all sorts of information about them, they will flat out deny that it exists. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> the people within their churches that I, I have talked to, they will say, well, I never heard them talk about this or that. I, I never heard them say this or that. And uh, it's really something that's like uh, this network that is passed on and has some unique teachings and doctrines and practices, and it's being passed on mainly through their networking as pastors and in the books that they, they put out. And uh, they believe that apostles are, are for today meaning like in the same sense as uh, as the twelve in the in the gospels and that every church, every biblical church, Christian church should 
uh, should unite underneath the leadership of their local apostle, um, and then those apostles unite underneath uh, a larger apostle, and uh, so on. And they believe literally that Jesus will not come back or cannot come back until the church has unified, and then also have, until it is conquered, basically, these uh, what they call the seven mountains uh, of culture. And so that's probably the most surprising one um, that I included. Uh, some of the others that are kind of like, mm, I'm not sure uh, for some people would be Seventh-day Adventists. Um, and a lot of people just are not familiar with their origins. Ellen uh, G. White uh, was a follower of William Miller, who uh, Charles Davis Russell of the Je- Jehovah's Witnesses was as well. And uh, if he, if you've ever heard of the Great Disappointment in 1844, uh, William Miller predicted that Jesus was going to come back, and then when that did not happen, I mean, people sold their houses, they quit their jobs, they were waiting in white clothes on a hill, you know? <laughs> and so it was a real thing. And um, when that did not happen, you know, William Miller actually repented, and he left the ministry. And he, he admitted he was wrong. And, but his, some of his followers, uh, particularly Charles Case Russell and Ellen White, they came up with rationalizations of what actually did happen. Like, Jesus really did come back, or Jesus really did this. Um, and so that's really the origins of those two groups. And so when you start with the foundation that, that faulty, and then Ellen G. White went on to uh, have several false prophecies in the Second Coming herself. She taught some crazy doctrines, um, and with her and Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Science, uh, when they received their supposed revelations, uh, some creepy stuff would happen. Ellen G. White, the people who were with her, they said that she would stop breathing and blinking when she was getting these revelations. Wow. Uh, that's not, that's like, you know, Greek, uh, oracle type yeah. of thing, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, and I think it's mainly, a lot of these groups, it seems like they live in the Old Testament. Even though they would say they're followers of Jesus and the New Covenant, they really live in the Old Testament. You know, like the Mormons have their Word of Wisdom health code, and then they have their temples. Um, Seventh-day Adventists have the Sabbath that they emphasize, they have their, their dietary restrictions, um, as well as some other, you know, legalistic type things that really become salvation by works. Um, then you've got groups like United Pentecostal Church International, that's the one that's Pentecostals, and it's not their rejection of the Trinity that caused me to put them in this group. Uh, it's actually their emphasis on salvation by works and their practice of mind control mm. uh, that puts them in that category. Uh, I got groups like the Twelve Tribes that nobody's ever heard of, <laughs> but they they believe that you should, if you're a Christian, that you should sell everything you have and move to one of their twelve communities around the world and basically live for that community. So everything's a common pool, and unless you do that, you're not really uh, truly safe, and you're not going to go to the highest level of heaven. Um, and then you've got the International Church of Christ, which broke off from the mainline Church of Christ, and they fell into what's called like the, the discipleship movement or multiplication movement. 
that was became prominent. Uh, I think they're in the eighties, um, maybe the seventies, and it became this really strong uh, hold on people. So everybody was discipling somebody, and everybody had a discipler. But that discipler was able, like I said, to basically make your decisions for you, mm. to tell you the, the minutia of how you're going to live your life. And so, and then they also very strongly believe that they're the one true church and that baptismal regeneration type stuff, which actually is pretty common within the Church of Christ denomination as well. But, um, so there, there you have it. There's the, there's the groups uh, that we talk about in the, in the, in the book. Two of the more prominent, uh, I know, cults uh, that that people discuss anytime we talk about cults are, of course, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormon Mormonism. Um, what are we have a lot of Jehovah Witnesses in our area? There's a strong presence of Jehovah Witnesses. It seems like in our community, some people have friends and family that may be part of the uh, the the movement. Why do we as evangelicals list Jehovah Witnesses as a cult? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, fits pretty much every uh, item of the checklist when it comes to being a part of a cult. Uh, they not only fall outside of Orthodox doctrine, so if I just go down the list, they would say that there's one God and that God's name is Jehovah, and, uh, but that means that for them that Jesus is not God. Jesus is, as they retranslate John 1-1 one, one in the New Rel translation, Jesus is a God, um, which creates its own problem because, you know, a question you can ask them is, is uh, Jesus a true God or a false God? <laughs> and that can send them down a, a, a rabbit trail of uh, verses that, you know, would cause them to really be in conflict over what they believe. Um but they, they, they don't believe that Jesus is uh, God. They are actually like the modern-day followers of Arius. Uh, at the Council of Nicaea, Arius taught, uh, the big catchphrase was, there was a time when he was not. And that was what his, him and his followers um, were preaching about Jesus, that Jesus is the first creation of God with, through which he created everything else. And so Jesus is, he's higher than us, he's higher than angels, uh, but he's not God, he's not equal or co-equal or co-eternal, he doesn't share the same attributes as God. And so that's what they believe about Jesus, they believe also that he was impaled on a stake instead of a cross, and that's really, I think, a tactic to get Christians to, if they can get them to question that detail, then it causes them to say, okay, well, what else have I not been told, or what else have I not seen? And it gets them in, in a level of dependency upon the, whoever's you know, sharing the Jehovah's Witness material with them. And uh, they don't believe in a physical resurrection uh, of Jesus. They believe that his you know, spirit just kind of went to be with, uh, with Jehovah. And uh, so they would question, you know, or just, I guess, reinterpret, redefine uh, what the resurrection passages are all about or the importance of that. Um, and so then, uh, so they believe Jesus was human, but he, they don't believe he was God, and they don't believe the gospel as we do. Jesus, in a lot of these groups, it's like Jesus just makes it possible 
for us to get right with God. So he's essential because if he didn't do what he did, then there wouldn't be any way to get back to the Father. But that's it. like Jesus didn't pay for our sins. He just created the way for us to, uh, if we do our part, if we repent of our sins, if we do the necessary works and, and things of that nature, then we can uh, go back to live with uh, Jehovah. So they don't teach how they believe that um, we are, our soul, or the, the part of us that makes us us ceases to exist in death. Hmm. And so, uh, for the believer, then God is going to kind of like recreate you at the day of resurrection, and then you're going to go either to there's 104 only 144,000 uh, they believe are going to be in heaven, and the rest of the believers that are Jehovah's Witnesses are going to be on like a resurrected earth, and so uh, Jesus has made it possible and our soul ceases to exist, and then for the unbeliever, they teach what's called annihilation, uh, so they just continue to cease to exist, and that's their punishment. Uh, they don't believe in a literal hell. And I'll say with that, that um, a lot of these groups, a big factor was that uh, they were rejecting Calvinism. Hmm. Uh, specifically, like the double predestination Calvinism, uh, Reformed theology, and so a lot of these, Mary Baker Eddy, uh, Charles D. Russell, Ellen White, you know, like all of these, they, they really strongly reacted to this idea of a God who would choose who's going to go to heaven, who's going to go to hell, and that he would just suffer, you know, make these people suffer forever in hell. Um, so that was a big factor. And of course, you know, the whole Adventist movement and the belief that, that you know, in some cases people believe that uh, the, the New World, when we came over here, that this was like the New Jerusalem. Um, and so that played into like, well, Jesus is going to come back, Jesus is going to come back. And so the Adventists definitely played into that. A lot of false predictions about the Second Coming. Um, Charles Hayes Russell, interesting character, uh, he actually believed uh, the Great Pyramid in Egypt. He believed that the tunnels, the measurements of the tunnels, would give us the calculations we need to be able to predict when Jesus was going to come back. Huh. And uh, so, uh, the Great Pyramid, there was a lot of fascination with that. Um, you can find ties to that in Mormonism as well. Um, so, uh, really interesting stuff on that end. Um, and then a big factor with all these groups is terminology. Like I said, they will redefine typical Christian terms to mean something completely different. And so this is a big factor when you're talking to cult members. Because the average Christian, if they're sharing the gospel, they'll say, you know, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, what do you believe about Jesus? You know, do you believe that he died for our sins and rose again from the dead? Yeah, I believe he was. <laughs> you know, and they'll just go through that, and they'll conclude, well, I don't see anything wrong, you know, but they haven't asked any clarifying questions, because what happens is that that person has meant something completely different by almost every single word that they have said. Uh, and so the end of what they said was completely, completely different than what you meant when you asked the question. And so it's really important to ask clarifying questions 
And that's just important, just so it doesn't become a monologue, like I'm preaching at them, but you're getting them to actually tell you, here's what I believe, and you're getting them to think for themselves. Because what happens is that um, initially, they just go on autopilot because of the mind control stuff. Right. And so if you're talking to all these witnesses, they will just start spouting off stuff in, from the Watchtower magazines or the Awake magazines or, you know, something that their, their leaders have said um, or commentary that it's in their New World Translation, something that it's all Jehovah's Witness stuff. And they'll just have pat answers that, you know, stuff that they read. But if you keep asking clarifying questions, eventually it gets to a point where they don't have that material to draw from. And they actually have to think about it and they may choose to just stop it right there and say, okay, well, I'm going to have to get back to you or I'm going to have to ask somebody. Or they'll actually take that step and actually think about it or they might go back and study it out. Uh, and that's really a huge step when you get them to start thinking for themselves or reading through like their own eyes, you know, not through the watchtower eyes. Um, then that's a very important thing. You know, that, that kind of led into my next question because I was going to ask how you share Jesus with cult members. Uh, we actually have about five minutes remaining, believe it or not. <laughs> so I was, we were going to talk about Mormonism. Uh, do you have any real quick thoughts about Mormonism that you'd like to share before we move to our final question? Uh, you know, nothing real quick. I mean, a lot of what we've said uh, directly applies to Mormonism. They're another one of those groups that is just no question. They are a cult, uh, but they are really good and subtle about it. Um, they are some of the best people that you'll ever know, um, and they're really efficient as an organization. They really, of all the groups, they know what they're doing best. They do it best. So I'll just say that. This sounds great. Well, you basically went through a uh, the, 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 some of the core fundamentals about how to share your faith with cult members. Do you have any concluding uh, tips to give to individuals who would like to maybe share their faith with cult members or, or any concluding thoughts pertaining to cults uh, and the dangers well, found therein? Well, I'll just say this, that the entire half section... Uh, there's three sections of the book, and the third section is half of the book, at least, and that is all about tactics of how to share your faith with these groups. And so we walk through uh, the, the Gospels in entirety and all sorts of things that Jesus said. We show you how to use their own scriptures uh, to teach Christian doctrine, uh, believe it or not. And uh, then we talk about how to communicate grace, to somebody who's in a religious mindset, how to defend the reliability of the scriptures, how to explain the Trinity, and how to communicate that Jesus is better than anything that they have to offer you. And so those are the, the, the six tactics that we talk about in the book. Uh, and so uh, with that little time, a short time, I don't have time to get into any of those, but... Um, you know, if we wanted to do this again, I'd be glad to talk about those. But uh, it's all in the book, and if you have any questions, I'm here as a resource. And um, so you can get the book as a, on a simple level. I have a YouTube channel, People the Free Gift, and Facebook page as well by the same name. Uh, but then I'm also offering, for those who are uh, interested, 
if you'd like to do a, a study through this material, um, and just all it takes is you get in contact with me, send me your questions, send me the time frame you're looking to do the study, and your order for the book and any donation you want to put on top of that if the Lord leads. And then I put together a series of videos that uh, deal directly with the questions that you guys have and uh, discussion questions that I put together, tailor-made for your group. And that's as simple as that. And then I'm available as a resource beyond that. So uh, I just want to throw that out there for those who might be interested. Awesome. Absolutely. And hey, after the summer break, because uh, usually uh, during the summertime, just to get... Uh, uh, just to kind of get some rest for myself <laughs> uh, as, as we start a new season of Bellator Christie podcast. Let's let's talk about maybe having you back on and and going through those tactics. Uh, tactics, uh, if 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 we can get you back on, that would be fantastic. Absolutely, I would love to do that. Awesome. Well, Jason, we thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today. We look forward to having you back on with us. Uh, we're, we've been talking with Jason Oaks, uh, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Roundup, Montana. Uh, we do encourage you to go get a copy of his book called Sharing Jesus with the Cults, How to Handle the Most Common Conversations Christians Get Into with Cult Members. And once again, it is available on Amazon.com and at bookstores everywhere. For Jason Oaks, this is Brian Chilton saying God bless, and we thank you for listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. Do remember, we're going to take a summer break. We will have some podcasts become, uh, coming available through the summertime as we try to archive uh, some of the uh, podcasts we had while on Blog Talk Radio, trying to get that on the website, get everything together in one, uh, so that it could be a one-stop shop, uh, one-stop center for you uh, to pick up that information, any podcast that you'd like to listen to. Have some wonderful conversations with some great people on there. Uh, Chet Roden's one. Uh, we have Derwin uh, Gray, Pastor Transformation Church, who was on Blog Talk Radio with us. We'll have him and a lot more on those archived editions coming up. Uh, once again this summer but we will be back with you for our live conversational podcast coming up sometime in august be sure to check the website and the app to find the latest from bellator christie again we thank you for listening you have been listening to the bellator christie podcast we'll see you back next time the views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristie.com or its affiliates Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Who is God? What is he like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating 
both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults and $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope to see you there. You're going to change this world for Christ. Don't look around and wonder who it is. Say, God, make it me. Make it me. Because we're training champions. That's a part of the vision. Write the vision, make it plain. We're training champions to change the world. That vision of training champions for Christ to change the world is the foundation of Liberty University. It always has been, and it always will be. Everything we are today is built upon it. But while our vision hasn't changed since 1971, the world around us has. Fewer and fewer people understand what we mean when we say train champions for Christ. So we show them. We show them what authentic faith in Christ looks like through the lens of academics, athletics, through the way we have fun and the way we serve one another and the world. We show them that we the faithful, the bold, the united, and the brave are also we the creators, the innovators, the entrepreneurs, and the leaders. We the champions are committed to tackling the issues of our time with integrity and prayer. Our vision hasn't changed. It has strengthened, broadened, expanded. It has grown into over 550 programs of study, reaching into over 80 countries, uniting over 100,000 students into a beautifully diverse family with a singular vision. champions in order to affirm our tradition of unwavering faith, ignite a passion for wisdom, challenge perspectives, inspire creativity, and pursue knowledge. Do resolve to be the voice for the voiceless, bring healing to the hurting, fight for the oppressed, defend freedom, 
defy stereotypes, and follow God's calling wherever it may lead. Find out more about Liberty University by visiting liberty.edu.